Hello, hello, there's something completely different for you today, which I think has to be a good thing after more than 160 episodes. This is number 160, 160, and today I wanted to show you the episode in which Amanda Knox, a former guest on this podcast, and her husband, Christopher Robinson, turn the mic on me. They interviewed me about my work on paedophilia for the brilliant and acclaimed podcast, Labyrinths. And I was really impressed with the outcome. It's why I wanted to bring this to you. They touch on really controversial topics without flinching or trying to make themselves look good or save their own hides or anything like that. They're very much in the curiosity over judgment category. And their episodes are formatted like short audio documentaries, well-researched, really nicely put together. And so with Amanda and Chris's permission, I'm putting that episode out here. Obviously, it's a very controversial topic, uh, paedophilia, you know, but it's something that infects about one in a hundred males, fewer women, but still they do exist. And it affects a lot more people than that, of course, child victims in particular and their families. So we're talking about paedophiles and what can be done about them and why we need to talk more about them. At the end of the episode with Amanda, I'm including one of my first ever interviews uh, with an 18-year-old paedophile who is the class president at his school. He tells me that he is a non-offender as well. He, he would never offend, but he takes us inside the mind of somebody like that. If you've already heard it, you know, a long time ago perhaps, I hope you don't mind listening again, especially bearing in mind everything Amanda, Chris and I discuss on the episode beforehand. If you've not heard that interview ever, the one with this paedophile that's going to come out after Amanda part finishes, then prepare for something that is as creepy as it is rare and elucidating, a unique glimpse into the mind of a non-offending paedophile. Thanks again so much to Amanda Knox and Chris Robinson for putting this together and allowing me to use it. Amanda, as you'll probably know, spent four years in prison after being wrongfully charged with the murder of Meredith Kircher when they were both students studying abroad in Italy. My interview with her about all of that is episode 91 of this podcast, so check that out if you haven't already. It's one of my favourite ever interviews. Coming up are episodes with Andrew Doyle about how wokeism is a type of puritanical religion and BBC journalist Vicky Baker about a mafia of psychics who colluded to get information about clients. But now you're on the edge of paedophilia in this episode from Amanda Knox and Chris Robinson's Labyrinths. Dear listeners, this episode grapples with the subject of child sex abuse. Please listen at your own discretion. And they do say these things that are just extraordinary to you and me, but to them seem very normal. So one guy who was on my podcast, he's a pedophile, and he was saying like that he needs to be around children. He says that he would never offend, but he has to be around them. And I said, but isn't it better for everyone if you just sort of absolve yourself from that entire situation, just get away from it? And he said, no, no, it makes me more likely to offend if I don't see them. Feeling lost? Then you're in the right place. I'm Amanda Knox. And I'm Christopher Robinson. And this is, is Labyrinths. Andrew Gold is not afraid to explore taboo topics. He's made documentaries about modern exorcisms and abortion. On his podcast, On the Edge, he's interviewed controversial people, including a former white supremacist, an ex-crime boss, and a self-professed psychopath. 
On the Edge is a podcast that grapples with taboo subject matter, but it isn't edgy just for the sake of being edgy. Rather, Andrew explores the extremes because the most difficult problems in society are the ones people are afraid to even talk about. And the most taboo topic Andrew has ever explored is pedophilia. Any kind of abuse to children, any kind of touching children is not just wrong, it's pretty much the most abhorrent thing that any of us can think of in our society. And at the moment, in the States, for example, one in nine girls are sexually abused as children, and it's horrific. I think it's something around one in 40 boys. And again, any statistics you have to take with a pinch of salt because so much is unreported. So what do we do with that? Well, most of us want to just shut our ears and just go, oh no, but I don't want to talk about it for several reasons. One, it's just simply, it's taboo. Another is, oh, if I talk about it too much, will people suspect me, right? Well, I think that's a little bit cowardly of all of us, and we have to start thinking, what do we do? We broached the same taboo in episode 10 of Labyrinths, one bite of the elephant at a time, about the way the authorities in Washington state lured potential predators online and then arrested and incarcerated them for attempted crimes against hypothetical children. These sex abuse stings were morally complicated because they could be viewed as entrapment, and they ran the risk of incarcerating people who've never actually offended, punishing their potential threat to society. This strategy is motivated largely by the conviction that all pedophiles are ruthless child molesters, But the reality is, some people who are sexually attracted to children actually resist their urges. Some even formed anonymous support groups online, the idea being that, like in the world of addiction, acknowledging you have a problem is the first step towards recovery. That said, the stigma is so great that very few pedophiles acknowledge their condition, even to themselves. The hard question for all of us then is, Does that stigma help them to not offend, or does it just make it harder for them to seek help? In researching this question, Andrew discovered some people in Berlin taking a very unconventional approach to the problem of child sex abuse and pedophilia. So he moved to Germany to investigate. In Berlin, they have the world's only clinic where they don't ever report pedophiles to authorities, no matter what. They can't. So even if a pedophile were to go in and tell them that they did horrible things, there's not really very much that the clinic can do because they don't take their names. That's the whole point. It's obviously very, very controversial because it means that these are trained clinicians who are then letting these people go back onto the street potentially to offend. That's a horrible thought that we have trouble wrapping our minds around. At the same time, they can never really prove much. It is thought that this would encourage a lot more of these people to come in. Is it like a a suicide hotline where someone says I'm having suicidal ideation and I need to talk to somebody who could talk me down? Like, how how does the treatment work? It is state-sponsored and it's a clinic called Project Dunkelfelds or Darkfield. Sometimes they also go by Don't Offend or don't become a a criminal, an offender. Um, And their adverts are all over TV, all over the internet, and all over like the metro in Berlin. You see it all over the place. So these people are encouraged to call up and then they come in in Berlin and they actually go in and speak face-to-face with therapists there. If you remember like from from the 90s and 2000s, there were these peer-to-peer downloaders where you'd get your Britney and Green Day mashups or whatever. And no one uses them anymore, really. But 
apparently a lot of child sexual abuse material does go out through there, which is very sad really to think of. And the clinic puts fake videos where it encourages somebody to download them. Then once they've downloaded them, actually what opens is, you know, an advert for don't offend. Mm. It says, here's our number. Just give us a call. Totally anonymous. So it's anonymous. The clinicians do see their faces. So it's not as anonymous as they'd probably like it. And it's difficult. These guys go in and there's like graffiti outside saying, hang the pedos, that kind of thing. And that sort of flies in the face of what the clinicians are trying to do by reducing stigmatization Mm. around their sexuality. But then it's just such a complicated topic. So they'll go there and they'll be going for months or years. And the idea is that by the end of it, they're better and they are less likely to offend and our children are safer. I think... One of the other issues that comes to mind is I've interviewed people who are 100 percent convinced that there is no cure to pedophilia. And so how does one offer support to a pedophile? Mm -hmm. I swear I've absolutely interviewed somebody who was like, I think we should just round them all up and shoot them. And I was like, "Okay, well, what's the very opposite approach to that? There is no uh, exact consensus on what makes someone a pedophile, whether they're born that way, whether there is to some extent choice. We don't know enough about sexuality in general and what people are attracted to. We do know historically there were examples where child-adult sex was more acceptable in society. And I'm very careful talking about that, not to say, well, oh, those were the good old days. That was awful and we'd like to think we've moved on in the last few thousand years. It is thought about 1% of the population have this condition. If it's a conditional illness, again, we, we don't exactly know. And there's a lot of theories swirling around. You look at someone like Michael Jackson, you think of his childhood being stunted. Mm. Is it sort of getting stuck at a certain age? I've heard some clinicians talk about that. So with regards to curing it, very few doctors I've spoken to around the world have suggested you can do that. But one did. He was suggesting that it tends to be uh, depressed, lonely men, because they are mostly men, who are unable to form relationships with people their own age, and they sort of resort to children, and they need to be made more confident, and they need to learn to climax watching adult porn, uh, stuff like that. But Hmm. he's sort of a lone outsider. And I said to him, you know, well, that sounds a little bit like sexual conversion. Is that what it's called? Yeah, Um, yeah, sexual conversion therapy, yeah. Yeah, which is abhorrent as well. And he was saying no, because he doesn't view pedophilia as a sexuality. So that's just him. Most people sort of do. They won't say exactly the terminology, but they suggest it can't be cured. You've got this 1% of the population. It's actually an enormous amount of people. It's larger than the army in most countries. And it's very scary for us. You have, of these people, a small section of them are probably psychopathic and they're going to offend no matter what. And there's not much that this clinic can do to stop them. And that's where laws come in. That's where just trying to be safe with children comes in. And then on the other side, you've got the guys who are just never going to offend. They have the attraction and they know it's wrong and they won't do it. And then in the middle, you've got these are the people that the therapy can help. These are the Mm. people who are tempted the whole time and they have a lot of cognitive biases. So they go to the therapy and they are disabused of their cognitive biases. They say there are three major risk factors. Uh, One is drinking, like alcohol or drug, you know, that kind of thing, because it lowers their inhibitions. So anything that lowers your inhibitions. Exactly. The other is um, 
stigmatization. So if they are made to feel like they are outsiders, they're made to feel like they're monsters, then they're more likely to act like monsters. And that's where the clinic sort of puts the pressure on us to change how we speak about the whole thing. The third one is whether they are around children. It's like so obvious to us. And to some of them, it's not. And again, I'm always having to say like, I don't mean everyone, but they do tend to go towards jobs like teaching and like camp counseling and uh, religious priests and imams and rabbis and things. And I'm not tarring them all with one brush. It's still a very small percentage of those people, but they do tend to go into those kind of professions and they do try to be around children, even when they're telling themselves like, oh, I would never do it. They're like alcoholics working Hmm. in a bar, basically. So that is how they try to treat these guys. They try to disabuse them of those cognitive biases. The question of how clinicians or authorities should address the problem of child sex abuse is complicated enough on its own, but it can't really be divorced from a careful look into who the potential offenders are and the recognition that some of them may harbor pedophilic desires but are not acting upon them. So Andrew started to meet the people who struggle with this condition, and that's when things started to get strange. I first got in touch with the clinic. I told them that I would like to write a book, which is what I'm trying to do. I told them I want to talk to these people and they said that's going to be impossible. So I just kept pushing as journalists do. And they said, okay, we will email a few people then. They've got these fake Mm. emails for everyone. So the clinic got in touch with them and said, there's a journalist who wants to speak to you. Now, a lot of these people are desperate to get it off their chests. They haven't been able Mm. to tell anybody their whole lives. So... I got a few emails, you know, tentative and a bit, you know, hi, I'm so-and-so. I've been going to the therapy for a while. What is it exactly you want to know? And then one guy who got in touch was called Max. It's not his real name, but that's all I know him as. And he said, hi, what are you doing? I can meet you today. And I was like, oh, oh my God. Okay, okay. And I'd been waiting months for that. And he gave me an address and the address was a public swimming pool. And I was like, that's a weird place for me to meet a pedophile. But okay, that's what he wanted to meet. And it had to be today, he said. So I cycled down to this place to go and meet him. My heart just got going crazy because, you know, I've met strange, weird people before. but I've never, as a journalist, gone and done this. And, and also all sorts of things are going through my mind. Like, am I getting in too deep here? And I go down to the swim bad, the swimming pool, and I queue up go in and I'm mentioning how will I recognize you and he sort of appears and he's got his like uh, speedo trunks t-shirt hanging down to his knees maybe mid-30s slightly chubby quite pasty white and I thought okay looks the part and then to my surprise he had a little girl with him so I was just like at that point you know, my heart was coming out of my mouth. I was just flabbergasted at this point, like, okay, what have I, I'm in too deep. What the hell is going on here? He sent her off to like do whatever in the swimming pools. And then I sat down with him and I'm thinking the whole time, I can't just like shout at him or something because if something's going on here, that's not right. I need to try and subtly find out because I don't have his real name. The clinic doesn't have it. So there's no point just me being all judgmental. And then he just runs away and I never get contact with him again. So I said, what's what's going on then? So tell me, who's the girl, like trying to be really casual? And he says, I'm babysitting her. And I'm trying not to show that I'm like, this is awful. So I said like, okay, well, do, do, the, do the parents know? And as I'm saying this, two other young girls, these are all about 11 or 12 years old, 
come over and, you know, hi, Max, can we have some more ice cream or whatever? So he's babysitting three girls from two different mothers. And I went and <laughs> I kept pushing and I was like, this doesn't sound right because he said that he told them about his condition and stuff and they trust him. So a week or two later, I went and met the mother in her house and it was all true. And she was like an extreme leftist um, who saw her role as sort of helping these minorities in, in the pedophiles. And she was like, well, why shouldn't he be able to look after them? And I was like, well, look, I get that in principle, but like it's a swimming pool. He might be getting sexual gratification from them. And she was actually saying like, well, look, I don't care what goes on in his head huh. as long as he's not doing anything to them. And I was like, well, that's not fair to put them through that because when they find out in 20 years that you did that, they might not be so happy. They can't give their consent to him getting sexual gratification from taking you to a swimming pool. So the whole thing was just crazy. And from there, just got like crazier and crazier over like a couple of years. I kept meeting. How do you get crazier than that story? Please (laughs) enlighten me. I stayed in contact with him for a long time, Max, talking back and forth. And it's so hard because what do I say at the end of the day? It really affected me actually seeing him. And I got very emotional, which doesn't usually happen to me. After I felt dirty, I needed to have a shower. I didn't know what to do. I did get in touch with the clinic, of course. And they said, well, look, we can't prove whether he's doing anything or not. Uh, to get involved without knowing anything could be traumatic for the children. And we don't even know what his real name is. Right. So there was nothing they could do. So that was a horrible, weird experience. But I should state as well, I don't know that he's abusing those children. In fact, I imagine he probably isn't. But I still don't, I'm not comfortable. I mean, this is what I mean with the cognitive biases is that he should know he's not supposed to be surrounding himself with children, especially in situations Mm. like that. So this isn't necessarily the clinic's fault because he's not doing what he was taught to do. In terms of stranger, I guess... The strangest, I would say, is a female. It was a 25-year-old woman. And the reason it's the strangest is because there are so few female pedophiles. And that took like a year to meet someone like that. I was pushing and pushing and delving deeper into these contacts and they all know each other. Mm. And eventually they introduced me to this 25-year-old woman who had a boyfriend who was 27. And both of them were non-offending pedophiles who were attracted to babies. So yeah, that's the weirdest one. Really, really tough one. And I I went and met them in a tiny village somewhere in Germany, middle of nowhere. And they were very nice and courteous with me. They were very emotional Mm. to tell me because they'd never told anyone this. And now they're suddenly telling a journalist and they were shaking because they were so nervous. I actually felt quite bad for them. And I found it hard to believe the the woman. I, and I suppose that might come from some sort of sexist notion of like women being mm. more maternal or, or just being less sexual or whatever ridiculous bias I had in my mind. And, and there are fewer of them. Um, but yeah, I kept asking her, like, are you sure this isn't some sort of maternal feeling for, for babies? And, or, or what happens a lot with people is something called POCD, which is pedophile OCD. Um, Obviously, OCD is accompanied by intrusive thoughts and people often think, what's the worst Mm. thing that I could have? Mm. And obviously, that is the worst thing you could have. So an outrageous number of people with OCD convince themselves that they are pedophiles to the point of imagining having offended Mm. when they haven't. And a lot of them go to the clinic as well and are then told to go to a a different kind of therapist. Interesting. And she was very offended, this woman, when I suggested that. She was saying, no, 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 I know what I am, I know what I feel, and I know I'll never act on it. 
but this is me. At one point, you mentioned that there are more pedophiles out there than we know. You also mentioned that it's difficult to even exactly say what qualifies someone to be a pedophile. And I think that that Mm -hmm. is a really important point because you don't have to go to Pornhub to see that young women become sex objects Mm -hmm. very early in a lot of cases and and to people who I think would not necessarily identify as pedophiles. So I'd be curious to know, like, how Mm -hmm. does our culture grapple with the sexualization of budding adolescent sexuality, and where do we draw the line? It's so complicated, isn't it? There are two different types of pedophiles. So there's there are pedophile, pedophile, and then there are these things called hebophiles or hebophiles, and they are people who are attracted apparently to sort of twelve year olds to to seventeen year olds. Right? We would classify them as that, and I think there have been a lot historically. I think and evolutionarily right and and i don't know enough about this people live a lot of the time didn't live as long and people were having sex after puberty now our society's evolved beyond that and so we know in our society it's wrong to be having sexual relations with somebody who's under the age of 18 in the uk it's 16 and there's a very good reason we have those uh, limits because someone younger than that is not able to consent in our society but it doesn't mean the evolutionary mm-hmm. thing goes away some of the women that are like a lot of the A-list celebrities go after. You look at some of Leonardo DiCaprio's girlfriends over the years, and you're like, man, what's mm. going on in his head? Andrew is not exaggerating about Leo DiCaprio's dating preferences. One Reddit user even made a fascinating chart of his dating history, showing that he's never in his life dated a woman over 25 years old. And as recently as age 43, he was dating a 20-year-old. But would the average male be any different if they had DiCaprio's looks, wealth, and social status? Not according to OkCupid, which has over 50 million users and routinely releases fascinating statistics. While the average woman rates men as most attractive when the man is roughly proportional to her own age, the average man, on the other hand, rates women most attractive when they are 20 to 22 years old, whether he is 20 or 50. Is this discrepancy relevant to the question of pedophilia? Perhaps. We know that men are, on average, attracted to young women. This isn't surprising in an evolutionary context, for women reach peak fertility biologically by their late teens, and fertility begins to decline after 30. And historically, it was not uncommon for girls to be married off and to procreate as soon as they were capable of doing so, in their early teens. While our culture has shifted dramatically, those evolutionary pressures encoded in our genes have not. And if the genes that affect age attraction have most men preferring 20-year-old women, you'd expect that like any human trait, you'd find extremes at either end, with some small percentage of men who prefer much older women and some who prefer much younger. The question is, what do you do about that? So that is a really difficult thing for our society to grapple with. So you were talking about the statistics. So we don't know exactly, but there have been some surveys and things done over the years in different colleges and things like that. And you do tend to find about 1% are exclusive pedophiles. 
So those are the people who are unable to form relationships. And that's 1% of men, I should say. Uh, women, it's hmm. much lower than that. But unable to form adult consenting relationships. They can only be attracted to children. But their lives are hell. I mean, they can never be with someone. And, and that's it's not a nice life for them to have. And those ones who don't offend deserve our sympathy. Then when you get into non-exclusive pedophiles, then it gets really murky. And, and you have to also be wary of like, even in anonymous surveys, who's right. going to really be honest about that? And who's going to be honest with themselves? But there, there was one survey that found as many as like 20% of men had some attraction to at least uh, under 18. They would admit to that. But fortunately, though, a lot of those people were also able to form attraction to adults. And so most of those people aren't bothered by it. They put it to the back of their minds and they have uh, enjoyable, fruitful adult relationships. There's no problem. So it's the 1%. Those are the ones that uh, have the diff a difficult time. And they're also the ones that we need mm. to worry about and get into therapy before right. they do anything. The way I look at it is every time something goes wrong, I want to understand why. That's yeah. the way that I function. And wherever it takes me, that's where it takes me. Because honestly, that's the only thing that matters. If you actually care about doing something about something, you have to just delve deep into truths that may be uncomfortable. I always want to talk about things, even if it's difficult. And I've, I've learned that's always the best way forward. And I've learned, I'd like to think, a lot about humans and trying not mm. to judge them and trying not to jump to conclusions. I, I don't want to assume just because somebody is a, a non-offending pedophile that they must have actually offended or that they have worse morals mm. than me. I try never to moralize. The only time I moralize probably is with moralizing people. I find people who moralize a lot really difficult mm. to, to bear. They probably don't like my podcast. They might not like yours either. Again, that doesn't mean you excuse people who think it's like the pedophiles who think it's okay to have adult child sex or whatever. That's where you have to draw the line. But it just means, and I'm sure you feel the same having met a lot of extreme and different mm. and interesting people. You, you just like, we're not mm. better than them. And let's let's hear people and listen to people. Yeah, no, if anything, I've often felt like I'm just luckier. Like, I was lucky to not be born with a very, very difficult, stigmatized condition. No one would ever choose to be a pedophile. So if they exist, then it's not by choice. I am interested, though, in talking about the hysteria. Where is the hysteria coming from? Because, again, like a part of me, I get it. Like, I'm a mom now. <laughs> I get it. But another part mm -hmm. of me is like, okay, but also we have a whole genre that millions of people in the world, true crime, they want to like dig into the dirty details mm. of murders and serial killers. People who like study serial killers for a living never get accused of being serial killers themselves. Why do we not treat pedophilia the same way? And mm. where is this taboo coming from? Because it's not like serial killers don't have sexuality wrapped up into that as well. So why, what is it about pedophilia that does that for people? Why can't we talk about it? Mm. Yeah, it's a funny one. It reminds me of there was a comedian who talked about the term to rape and pillage. The Vikings were raping and pillaging. Andrew's referring to the English comedian David Mitchell. Rape and pillage, rape and pillage. I don't quite understand why it is that pillage should take the curse off rape. Because it does, doesn't it? Add pillage to rape and suddenly it has a certain air of knockabout fun. But pillage is bad enough by itself. It's theft, looting and arson. Being pillaged would be an awful thing to happen to anyone. What it definitely isn't is a spoonful of sugar to help the rape go down. 
Nonetheless, you can pretty much imagine a jolly uncle saying something like, Where are you boys off to tonight? Out reaping and pillaging, I'll be bound. But you wouldn't want one of them to reply, well, not pillaging anyway. Raping awful, raping and pillaging, funny what you're saying there, child sexual abuse, worst thing that can ever happen. Child sexual abuse with murder, right? true crime podcast, right? I, <laughs> I don't know what that is. I mean, if you look at the people who were most vehemently homophobic over the centuries, often it was to hide their own homosexuality. Or it might have just been, again, the intrusive thoughts of like, I don't want anyone to think that's me or their but for the grace of God go I. So I think there is that fear. It doesn't mean that these people who have the hysteria around pedophilia are all secretly pedophiles. Of course not. But there's that fear when you're on the top of a building that you might jump off it. Like, what if I just jump suddenly? What if the worst possible thing happens? What if people think mm. that I'm a pedophile, right? And I think it's because of that fear that, that people think others might think they're one. And it's also, we love to attack. I mean, you've experienced that more than anyone. We want to blame and shout and it makes us feel really good. So yeah, whenever there's an excuse to do that and, and pedophilia is one of those ones, you can really shout and scream at someone and everyone will agree. Right. Yeah, no, I'm thinking actually there was a a poetry magazine scandal and they published a whole edition that was from offenders, people in prison. And Poetry Magazine published this edition Mm. to offer a platform for people who had been incarcerated because we, in this more progressive world, are thinking about criminal justice reform, about decreasing the stigma um, associated with having been an offender in the past, allowing people to have served their sentence and move on into the future. In general, just giving this idea that, hey, maybe these people have a worthwhile perspective. Let's offer them a platform to have an artistic voice. Well, there was a huge scandal because one of the people that they published was a person who had been convicted of child pornography possession. Uh, And uh. it's fascinating to me that of all the people that they singled out in that edition, there were murderers in that edition. Nobody batted an eye. But the child pornography possessor was the thing that like got everyone upset. And that to me is just so fascinating that in people's minds, a person who murders people is more worthy of redemption than someone who possessed child pornography. Mm. I don't know if you ran across that. I didn't see it, but that's fascinating. I wrote this article in The the Independent about the changing ways that we interpret offense uh, and and what makes us offended. And I got a lot of this from John McWhorter, who's a professor who was on my podcast. And a lot of it was from his book. Again, I'm the journalist. I'm just repeating his stuff. But it's really fascinating where you see where things went from like 500 years ago. Religion was the main thing everyone was offended by. So if you look at words like darn and heck, which mean nothing to us now, those words were like the worst things you could say. And then it moved on over the years as religion had less of an impact on on us. It moved on to the bodily functions. So things like fucking shit. And so there was more of that Victorian Mm. shame about uh, our bodies now. So we're now the center. Over the last like 30 years, it's become identity groups. So it would make sense to me in that sense that we're more offended by a pedophile 
which we see as some sort of identity group. That's that person's sexuality. They got child porn, right? Which we shouldn't call child porn. It's child sexual abuse material because porn implies that they willingly took part. So look, what they did is awful and it contributes to to the pain of that child every time uh, a pedophile downloads that stuff. So it is terrible. But it it makes sense to me anyway that we're more offended by that identity than we are by maybe a murderer. We don't see murderers as really an identity. Don't say, I identify as a murderer. Often it's just like a Mm one-time thing that happened. So we attack people for who they are inside. That might be why child porn trumps actual Hmm. murderer in that sense. Looking at pedophiles, everyone I know wants to just shut off and not think about it. But I tell you who really knows everything about it, it's the pedophiles themselves, particularly Hmm. the offenders. They write books on this stuff. So we need to start reading. We need to start talking about it so that we can debate those people. So we can, again, disabuse them of, of their false notions and cognitive biases. Because I've spoken to one or two who are offenders and they are convinced of their stuff and they know every statistic in the book. So we don't want them to be the only ones with this information. That's why Andrew's writing a book. We can't address a problem as urgent and complicated as pedophilia and child sex abuse if we're not willing to think about it. But the intense stigma has been an obstacle for Andrew in finding a publisher. And a lot of them just like, I'm not publishing this book. So my literary agent actually said he's never had that kind of reaction where they wouldn't Mm. even look at the book. And that does frustrate me because it's like, I'm saying, I think this is a way that we can curb child sex abuse. And they're saying, yeah, but I don't want to even look at it. It takes courage to even discuss this problem, to try to have sympathy for people who are born with desires they can never act upon without committing grievous harm against the most vulnerable. So we just want to take a moment to thank you, listener, for joining us for this difficult conversation and for caring about the humanity of everyone involved in this fraught topic, the children at risk of abuse and the unlucky men who find themselves at risk of becoming abusers. You can find Andrew Gold covering other taboo subjects with empathy and nuance on his podcast, On the Edge. In the meantime, get lost with us. Find us on Twitter, at Amanda Knox. At Man Under Bridge. And if you appreciate difficult conversations like this one, please leave us a five-star review and tell your friends. Word of mouth is the best way we can reach new listeners. This episode was written, edited, and sound designed by us, with additional writing by Sophia Gates, editing and sound design by Josh Thane, and theme music by Josh Budo Karp. Don't go anywhere. I've got an interview with an 18-year-old class president or head boy in British, as we would say, coming up, a non-offending paedophile. First, I just wanted to thank Amanda Knox and Chris Robinson again for letting me use this episode, which is originally from their fantastic podcast, Labyrinths. If you like what you just heard, do go check it out. Leave them a review. Say you heard about them from On the Edge with Andrew Gold. That would be nice. And please do leave a review on my podcast. I've had some lovely new ones lots more since i mentioned getting a bad one star review so thank you so much for your support it really does make my morning when i wake up to a new one i get the notifications a couple days after you send them and usually during the night so i wake up in the morning if you send a bad one star one it's also a way to ruin my morning so please you know feel free to do that if you want as well Uh, and i'll read out some of them next time but now here's my interview with a real life non-offending as far as i know pedophile 
Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, that would be the end for my life, basically. Yeah. Because although I would never offend a child if everyone knows about it, a lot of people would not talk to me anymore. Hmm. Maybe also some close friends. And I mean, I can understand it because you don't have a, a good feeling about it. If you know, well, even the head boy was a pedophile. If ever there was a need for a disclaimer, this would be it. Today's interview on the Andrew Gold podcast delves into dark terrain in the form of a teenage paedophile, one who is also the head boy at his school. The past year, I've been in Germany researching the topic for a book after finding out about a state-sponsored therapy program called Don't Offend that doesn't report its patients to authorities, even if they have been offending. This is part of a liberal history and attitude towards minor attraction in Germany, where it's thought Madeleine McCann's abductor is from. In the past year, I've met many paedophiles, almost all of whom say they are of the non-offending variety. These include a 25-year-old woman attracted to babies, and a man who deserted his family without warning or explanation because he was afraid of his own desires for his nine-year-old daughter. Many of them, I've found, are mired in depression in the knowledge they can never have a fulfilling relationship with a consenting adult. The young man I spoke to for today's episode, Silas, is unlike any other I've met. He's young, chipper, and happy-go-lucky. He's adamant he'd never offend, but still makes use of his role as trusted head boy to get close to younger children at his school. Some of the things he says are shocking, and it's possible that a year of investigating this subject has made me a little desensitized to it. But I believe it's important to hear from him if we want to better understand the paedophilic mind and prevent further abuse of children. The world's leading expert, Dr. Michael Seto, believes 1% of the male population are exclusively paedophiles. Many doctors also believe that stigmatization of non-offenders is one of the greatest risk factors that can lead to them crossing the line. So it's time we talk about them. I feel it's important to mention that another thing I've learned in my time investigating paedophilia is that the effects of abuse on children is devastating and irreversible. I try to be open and understanding with Silas, purely because he tells me he has never and would never touch a child. And since he's so honest about everything else, I have no reason not to believe him. I hope you enjoy this podcast, even if it makes for an uncomfortable listen. Welcome to my podcast, Silas. How are you doing? 
Well, I'm very fine today. Um, I just finished my last exams and I'm very happy about it. So it's a nice day also here and huh. I'll enjoy this podcast. Oh, great. How did Corona impact on your exams? Um, well, it was quite a, a different and a huge impact because, um, I mean, I'm, I'm still going to school and uh, I finished my grades this year. And how has it been for you um, being away from school for the last few months? How have you, how have you felt? Um, well, it's quite okay because... Um, Everyone knows it. I mean, ah, I don't want to go to school and it's so boring huh. and, and so on. Um, but in reality, I really um, I wanted to see my friends again. And yeah. also, I mean, the, I'm, I got, um, I'm in contact with a lot of, of really children I do like in, at mm -hmm. school. Okay. Um, so I really also um, I miss them. Mm. So, okay, is it? Am I right that you're the head boy of the school? It was yes, the last year. How did that happen? Um, I don't know. It was uh, it was um, um, a quick idea of mine. So I just um, I decided, well, why not? So I presented myself, and apparently uh, the the people liked me, so they voted for me, and yes, then I was the the um, head boy of the school so it happened really quickly and uh, it was it was amazing when did you start to realize that you were a pedophile um it was uh, really early because a lot of people discover it when they are around maybe um, 20 or even older so um but in my case it was very different because um i was uh, i was at a football team i was playing in a football team Mm. Um, in Spain, and I really um, I noticed that um, I started to like the boys of my team from my team, mm. um, and they. Um, How old were you? I was about maybe when it started, maybe eleven, twelve years old. Oh, mm. and that's why I said that it was at a really young age. Mm. So I started to realize well. I, um, they are very attractive to me and back then i also had an idea that something is not right at all about me um but i didn't know at all what it was so i knew well i can't say it to them because it would be kind of uh, really creepy maybe yeah well not not that creepy at all because they were my same age maybe one or two years younger so it it's not that creepy but i mean <laughs> there's also uh this stuff where you uh, think well i don't want to be gay or um mm -hmm. i don't want them to um to know it about me yeah because what made you think at 11 years old that you because you've liked other boys who were 11 that that made you a pedophile because my presumption if that happened to me would be that I was gay I wouldn't even think about being a pedophile or something yeah I mean um the first thought I had was also that maybe I'm gay and this was the beginning of the pedophilia but I didn't realize it until a little bit more later when I was maybe 14 mm -hmm. or something like that because um then while I was uh, older um, but I still liked the boys around um, the age of 10, maybe also 8, 11. And 
uh, it, it did not, the age of the boys I liked did not grow with my same age. Was that concerning for you? Mm, not really at all, because it was, um, it, it, it was just the way it was. And um, I kind of just accepted it. At first, I wasn't proud of, the, of it. I just imagined, well, it's gonna be difficult maybe. So I don't know. So because I didn't know how it would develop also, because maybe it's just a phase in my life. Mm. But um, yes, as soon as I got older, I really knew, well, it, uh, it, it will always be there and I need to find a way of living with it so yeah. i just can't um just forget it because it's there it's it's interesting because so i've been speaking to a lot of pedophiles over the last year uh hoping to write a book about the subject and mm -hmm. i found that yeah i think you're quite unique um but well not necessarily unique because like you, I think a lot of uh, other pedophiles are trying to find a way to live with what they have. And they, uh, many are, are, are also proud uh, because it's who they are. And, they, yes. you know, um, and they are frustrated that they're not able to be proud of who they are, which is something that I had never thought about, which was very interesting for me. Um, but I think what seems to be unique about you is that you you don't seem to have been so concerned, where, whereas I think a lot of people I've spoken to have been very depressed, uh, at least for a stage, when they realized they were pedophiles, uh, especially the understanding that they could never have a meaningful consenting adult relationship. But that doesn't seem to be too worrying for you. Is that right? Yes, that's uh, truly right. I mean, I also had some um, issues in my life when I was maybe around 17, or one, not 17, but 16, 15, where I also thought, well, um, I mean, it's, it's everything so overwhelming and everyone around me is uh, getting a girlfriend and everyone is, is uh, having their first experience um, with, uh, with sex, for example. Mm. And I couldn't. And um, there was also such a point because there were some girls that were in love with me and they really liked me. They also tried to start a relationship with me. And I mean, I couldn't because I just um, did not feel that it's the right thing because, I mean, I'm not attracted to them. And so why should I start a relationship with them? And it was quite um, difficult also to explain. Yeah. And that's that there was a point of my life where I really also was kind of a little bit depressed, but uh, not that much. So it was just uh, also a very um, short moment. Do you remember the first time that you told somebody else? It was a friend of mine and he's uh, still a very good friend to me. And I mean, we're like besties. We're really uh, good friends. Um, and I knew him because of um, us, uh, because of the same sport we did. We really had lived a lot of really good and also bad moments. So we really went through a lot of issues. And that was kind of also the main reason why I decided to um, tell him that I'm a pedophile. 
And it was uh, via WhatsApp because he had um, a new girlfriend, I guess. Or there's something, there was something going on. He talked about it and I just kind of had the desire to mm-hmm. say to him and to tell him that, well, I'm a pedophile because mm-hmm. um, he, he was always talking about his relationships and I could never talk about mine. That's quite an extraordinary step because it, you had never told anyone before and the first time you decided to do it, you did it in writing. Yes. There's, there's evidence and proof and if he had reacted badly... You, you had to trust him a lot, you know, not, not to send that around to everybody. Yes, really a lot. But I mean, I really knew him and I also knew he was, um, he, he's very liberal. So he's not just uh, the type of guy that um, is uh, constantly hating against other um, groups of uh, people. Yeah. And so I really had also the gut feeling it's gonna be a good idea. And I mean, I, I didn't, um, had the guts to um, to tell him in person uh, because it's kind of uh, embarrassing also a little bit. Yeah, and he, he said he's going to support you, I imagine. Yes, um, I mean, at first he didn't believe it. I said, well, um, there's something I need to tell you. I'm, I'm not straight. My sexual um, preference is something else, but it's also not the usual so it's not gay and so um he had to um to guess it and at first Mm. he really guessed other things like um well also a feeling maybe being attracted to older people oh and then then also to um to to animals yeah oh my god then um i i told him no it's it's kind of um the these people i'm attracted to are small and they're they're also um very young and then he said kind of what the fuck a pedophile and yeah it was it it, i mean he did not believe it at first and then i really told him yes it's the way it is and I think it's a discussion uh, a lot of people have uh, with their friends and everything. Um, you know, how would I react if my friend told me he were a pedophile? Um, did he ask you if you had offended or anything like that? Um, no, he, he did not ask this because he did not think I'm capable to this. Okay. Is it offensive to ask somebody like you if you have offended Mm, no, because there, there's always um, different people and um, there are good pedophiles and also bad pedophiles. So there can be always be the possibility that um, a pedophile has offended a child. And are you a good pedophile or a bad pedophile? Yes, I'm, I'm a good pedophile. So I never offended a child and I also would never because mm-hmm. it's just uh, also, it's, it's very harmful for the children. Yeah. yeah is is it is it something that you've had to try very hard to resist um yes there were i mean there were also some some phases in my life so some stages where i really had more problems with um with not offending children and mm-hmm. now it's it's really it's okay so um i have a lot of contact to children so um Maybe you think, or the normal, um, this, this straight person thinks, well, if he's got um, 
more contact to children, maybe there's also um, a higher risk that he could mm -hmm. um, offend a child. But um, in the case of good pedophiles, it isn't. Because um, when you're really talking to children and you're playing with them, you really do have a lot of contact. You, you get a good feeling about the, um, this sexual preference because um, you know, well, I'm doing something good for the children and it's also good for me because I am enjoying this also. Yeah. Um, and that's also a huge factor why I'm constantly trying to um, get in touch and uh, with uh, new kids or um, yes, to make um, some contact with them. Yeah. And um, because it also helps me to, um, to realize the, the meaning in life. Mm -hmm. So then I maybe um, I'm playing with them and then at home maybe I can um, think about them again in maybe in a, in a sexual way because if I'm in love with some children, for example, yeah. um, I really enjoy being with them, but I can separate the sexual um, component with the, um, the childish component. So, you know, yeah. that, um, yes. So it's, it's that. very strange. It's another thing I've, I've learned from speaking to pedophiles is that there's, um, it's not, it's not always just a sexual thing. A lot of pedophiles just love being around children. Um, and it's, so it's, it, there's a platonic love as well. Um, so I guess, I guess that's, what's going to be hard for a lot of listeners to understand maybe, uh, and for me to understand as well, when you talk about really, really enjoying being around children, I think that might make a lot of people uncomfortable, particularly when it's their own children, <laughs> because they're imagining yeah. that you're getting, even if they're, you're not touching them or anything, they're imagining that you're getting some sort of sexual thrill out of speaking to the child, which may not harm the child directly, but I suppose people don't like the idea of their children uh, being looked after or hanging around with somebody who's getting a sexual thrill out of it. Yes. I mean, I, I can completely understand it also. I mean, um, if, if I'm a parent, um, if I would be a parent one day, I mean, I would also have a, a, a strange feeling about this. So if I would know well, the person uh, speaking right now, playing with my child as a pedophile, um, I mean, I really would need to trust this person. Yeah. So, I mean, I know how this person also feels, but I really need to know, well, he's a good pedophile, he's not a bad pedophile. And I suppose there must be some people who are on the line, and I think that's the concern, that there are people who are good pedophiles who maybe give in to their desires, or, is, or do you think that's just not possible? I mean, it can happen. It's more because of um, they're sometimes uh, mentally not that strong. They follow their um, sexual yeah, desires. Yes, yes, desires. Yes, it's not. It's not the um, the usual thing. So it does not happen that. Have much. you told uh, anybody in your family, or who, who have you told? Who knows about this? Um, just some friends of mine, some really close friends. And your family? Does anybody know? Um, no, because I don't want to risk anything. Mm -hmm. I don't know how they would react. I mean, if I would tell it to someone, it would be my mom because um, I really have a good relation with her. 
and I also really trust her. We do laugh a lot. I just I did not um, tell it to her because I'm still living with her, and I want to move out, and I want to be. Uh, I w- I don't want to be dependent on oh, someone. Yeah. yeah. So just huh. imagine if I tell her and she does not like it mm-hmm. or she does not really uh, uh, react how I thought. I mean, it would be uh, really uh, catastrophic. Do you think she suspects anything? Does she ever ask why you haven't had girlfriends or boyfriends or anything? No, I don't think she um, does suspect because I told her that I'm going to have child uh, children. Mm later on in my life and that the perfect moment will come um, and then that I also I'd like to have uh, three children she never asked me about this so um, it's just the way it is and she accepts it I mean the the current situation mm-hmm. um, and every time I tell her that um, I'm gonna do something or I, I'm gonna play with a child or talk to to a boy for example she just um, says, well, that's, that's really fine. And um, I really like how you're uh, interacting with children. Right. So how do you think people, uh, parents, for example, or the teachers at the school would react if they knew their head boy were a pedophile? Oh, they, uh, that would be um, the, the end for my life, basically. <laughs> yeah. Because... Um, I mean, um, although um, although I would never um, um, offend a child, um, if everyone knows about it, um, I mean, they would. They a lot of people would not talk to me anymore. Mm. Maybe also some close friends, and I mean, I can understand it because um, you um, you don't have a good feeling about it if you know well. Even the head boy was a pedophile. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm even worried about publishing this podcast because some people won't want to talk to me afterwards just because of association. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's how strong I think the taboo is. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's really strong. And it, it, it's also difficult to break the stigma because um, the media also is constantly just publishing the um, um, some some news mm-hmm. about pedophiles, but um, bad news. So if always someone is um, if a pedophile just offended and molested a child. Um, the media is always there and the media makes it also worse. So uh, uh, not every pedophile is automatically a child molester. It must feel a little bit like, so I'm Jewish, for example, uh, and there have been quite a few, every time I hear something like uh, Woody Allen did something bad or Harvey Weinstein or a name like that, it makes me think, oh God, everybody's going to think that Jewish people are, you know, rich Hollywood people who who treat uh, women or badly or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's how a Muslim person feels if they hear about a terrorist attack and they feel like, hey, that's not me. That doesn't speak for me. Do you think that's the same way that you feel every time you see another newspaper report of a pedophile who has attacked someone and you think, oh, God, it's going to just be worse for us now? Mm. I do not really think, well, it's going to be worse for us. But, I mean, 
I just, um, I sometimes also read those articles and I just keep thinking, I mean, hell no, what, what the fuck are you doing? I mean, I mean, why? Yeah. It's, um, I mean, uh, to the, to the, um, the, the guy who molested the children. Right. So I got, I recently, um, posted in a forum, forum for pedophiles called Gemeinstadt allein together, uh, rather instead of alone when the news about Madeleine McCann, you know who she is? No. Nope. Uh, she was a girl in England who was abducted, uh, taken away by somebody uh, 10 or 15 years ago. And recently in the news, they found that it was a German, it was an English English girl and a German uh, man had taken her. And that was a big news story just a couple of weeks ago. I posted in uh, this this forum asking if anybody knew any information about this German man. And everybody in the forum was very, very offended by me asking that question and by asking if anybody knows this German pedophile. Do you know why they were offended? Mm. Um, I don't have an idea. Um, <laughs> it's, it's difficult because, I mean, I wouldn't be offended and that's, yeah, what they told me was, because I, I was just interested in it, whether you would be offended. And I, I notice as well that you talk about good pedophiles and bad pedophiles. Now in this forum, it's it's also a forum for non-offenders. They don't talk about good and bad pedophiles. They talk about pedophiles and then pedo-criminals. So because I said, does anybody know this German pedophile? You, you know, they wouldn't call him a pedophile. Ah, yes, yes. So you threw everyone in yeah. and kind of the same part yeah i didn't mean to but uh yeah. <laughs> they would not use the word pedophile to describe that man they would say a pedophile is somebody who is attracted to children and would never do anything to harm them and then somebody who harms them is not a pedophile but a pedo criminal mm -hmm. yes 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 um i know about this issue so it also um happens in some other um chats among the, the good pedophiles, there's um, the other pedophiles who are really very uh, strict with this mm. issue. So they don't want to be called good pedophiles. They want to be just called pedophiles. It's uh, not that important. But I mean, um, just if you know, well, he's a good pedophile and he does not offend anyone. It's okay. And what about then? This is something I have to ask you because you've not offended with children but what about uh, and i think everyone will be will be wondering this listening what about uh child sexual abuse material no neither i mean um it's it's also because you're um indirectly helping other uh, pedophiles to get money so they have a reason to keep offending children um, that's also why I'm strict against child uh, abuse material. But you must be tempted sometimes, let's say, if you've had a few beers and it's late at night, you know? Yes, of course. I mean, um, it's always difficult because there's the normal porn you can watch everywhere. Um, but, I mean, then there's the, the child um, porn and you can't watch it anywhere. And that's, uh, it's kind of also a thrill. But you, you've never tried? No, I've never tried. I mean, I was quite um, a few moments. I was uh, downloading also the the Tor browser. That's the secret, the secret browser. Yes, all right, Tor. Yes. Yeah. Um, but in the end, I didn't because 
um, if someone would know or would discover that um, I really um, watch child porn, I mean, I'm still young and I would live my entire life with this issue. And um, so my entire um, personal um, uh, relationships yeah. with... Um, also maybe get this truck it could be a big story as well because this uh i think i mean one of the reasons i wanted to talk to you is because you are so different to the typical pedophile that somebody can interview or or find in a community because often they tend to be a lot older the ones especially the ones who are willing to do an interview because they feel a little bit like they've already lived their lives whereas an 18 year old or 19 year old uh feels like they have a lot more to risk um so so that's quite extraordinary and i imagine yeah if you were caught looking at child pornography or something uh being so young and being the head boy of your school and everything i think that would be a really big story yes of course yes yes so are you able to enjoy adult pornography um that's a good question indeed um (laughs) (laughs) um um there there were also some stages in my life I mean, when I was younger, I enjoyed watching gay porn. Okay. Also, um, twink porn. So, um, you know what a twink is? No. A twink is kind of, um, he's already over 18, but he um, still looks a little bit younger. So, maybe um, 15, 16, okay. kind of this. Okay. And um, twinks also really tend to shave their body hair. Right. Um. And that made it um, also a little bit of, um, uh, it made it interesting to see, um, to watch. And then later on, I also enjoyed watching a normal porn, but just because of the, um, the guy penetrating the woman because of the penis penetrating all the time. Yeah. And now um, there's an, in- an, an interesting turn in my life because um, I am still starting to enjoy also the body of, of women, you know? Oh. So just just the uh, the vagina or yeah. how it is called? Vagina. It? Vagina, yes. Yeah. Vag- ah, vagina. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so um, I really like to, um, to watch close-ups, so where you really see everything very close. Huh. And also some some um, close up cum shots and cream pies, for example. Right. And it's yeah, it's interesting because I, I really didn't think that it would happen. But um, I just have to tell tell you that the um, the the sexual fantasies and um, imagination of children, sex with with children is much more interesting than mm. um, seeing and watching these uh, close-ups i think um from what i've researched i mean the the difference between being an exclusive pedophile and a non-exclusive pedophile uh is is very very important to the happiness and general condition of somebody's life i mean if you're an exclusive pedophile it means you can only get arousal from from children and if you're a non-exclusive then i guess you can you can have that and maybe it's even stronger but you're able to have some attraction for an adult and able to live a normal life with that adult there's a school of thought uh, according to the not in germany but in britain they believe that pedophilia uh there's a there's an organization called stop it now who believes that pedophilia is not a sexuality 
they think that it mm -hmm. is uh, something that can be cured. Ah, uh, an illness, yes. Is that offensive to you? Mm, it's it's indifferent to me. I mean, yeah. it's everyone can think what uh, he, he or she wanna wanna think. I mean, it's not. I know what I am, and um, it's no, nah, it's not. Mm. It's not really offensive. They say I spoke to their director that it can be helped or cured or whatever, and that uh, one of the ways is teaching people to enjoy climaxing to you know adult pornography or something which sounds like you're already mm -hmm. doing that a little bit i mean so is there any hope for you that you would be or is there any desire for you to to be able to enjoy attraction to adults that's also a good question i mean um i already told that i want to have um three children yeah. later in my life because um yes children are also the meaning of my life and um, as I said, I really enjoy being with them. And I also want to see my own child, uh, children growing up. The first step is finding a woman, you know, yeah. and um, being able to have sex with her. And I mean, that's currently the most um, difficult step in my life and also to do. Because, I mean, I'm mainly attracted to children and just a little bit just a little little bit to uh, women so um back to your question um mm. i would like to experience um being able to um having sex with a woman and also um being able to um, feel the the attraction to another woman but however i wanna i don't wanna be cured just to say it in a way, mm -hmm. because we just talked about curing this um, condition. Yes, this condition in uh, in quotation marks. I'd like to experience both. So I just um, don't want to give up this um, sexual preference hmm. um, of children, you know? Yeah. being attracted to children, because it's always, it's already been a huge part of my life, and and it it made me also to um, uh, the the guy the person I am right now. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of like becoming the person you are, I'm wondering: did a lot of the pedophiles I met had very very difficult childhoods? Um, and there's there's a theory, a school of thought that that can uh, affect pedophilia, uh, that it can make your um, attraction levels. I, I, I've heard that, you know, when you're 10 years old, you are attracted to 10 year olds. When you're 11, you're like 11 year olds. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that progression can be uh, halted. Um, often when something traumatic happens in your childhood, was there anything like that, that, that might have been a cause? No, no. Um, I can't prove this theory with my own experience because I really had um, a very happy childhood and my parents made everything in order to make my childhood happy and they really uh, succeeded. Hmm. There were no experiences I can remember where there happened something bad or something that can um, or yeah, is maybe able to affect this progression. Wow. It just is what it is. Yes, it, huh. it, it just came to my life <laughs> yeah. just as a, as a gift from Santa Claus. <laughs> wow. Have you been going to therapy at all? 
No, I don't need it. I mean, I when I um, was 15, 16 years old, I really had um, a lot of contact to other pedophiles through a chat, through a German chat. And mm -hmm. they really helped me because um, I knew, well, there are also other people like me outside, um, out there. And um, they're also feeling the same things I feel. I made also some some uh, friendships there, and it was also it was kind of the therapy I needed back. Then. It's just yeah, it's remarkable how happy and in control you are uh, more than anybody I've spoken to. I think. Yes, it's. Um, I mean, sometimes I really um, think about this, and um, I really also think, well, why am I? the guy um uh, the who um became or who who got this um preference um because stati statistically there are uh, just maybe two or up to three percent um mm -hmm. of pedophiles around the world and um, still a lot of people yes uh, if you if you keep thinking about it so if you <laughs> Two out of 100 people are pedophiles and you don't know yeah. because you Or can't. men at least. Yes, men. So um, I don't know. I mean, there, it's also a very um, interesting thought because, I mean, a lot of people think that um, pedophiles are just men. But what if um, also there's the same percentage of women pedophiles? I mean... Um, because you do not associate women with being a pedophile. And I met one. What? I met I met one. Yeah, while researching this, I went to meet her. Um, well, that's cool. Yeah, uh, but yeah, apparently, from what I can understand, it's uh, it's now thought that about one percent of men are pedophiles, exclusive pedophiles, but up to twenty one percent have some attraction to children. Mm -hmm. Just at least a little bit. Yeah, apparently about you know twenty one out of a hundred men, uh, if being completely honest, would say that. Uh, mm -hmm. Although it doesn't necessarily affect their lives in any way, whereas uh, one percent are completely exclusive, like yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. With women, it's thought to be qu quite a bit lower, but it's still it's still there. It still exists. Yes, but I mean, um, so just. Just think about it. So a lot of women do work um, at elementary schools, for example, or as um, mm -hmm. child take carers, or how do you call it? Um, yeah, child carers. Yeah, child carers. So um, maybe they're also um, attracted to children, but maybe they think it's kind of the, the maternal um, attraction you feel. There was a statistic I saw as well that showed that male pedophiles uh, have a stronger sense of empathy towards children um than than non-pedophiles so there might also be some sort of confusion or combination of a paternal feeling with the sexual feelings mm, yes that might be possible but um, i think it's more the case that a uh, woman maybe if, if it's if, if it might be true hmm. and so do you have uh friendly relationships with a lot of children at school Yes, <laughs> and I really, I really love it, and um, I'm, I'm also proud of it because, um, I mean, it's not very easy to um, to build a friendship with um, a child. I know if you're 
already older. So um, the people, I mean, first the child will also think, so hell, what the fuck? Why is he talking to me? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and then on the other side, also your friends, so your um, the, the friends your age, they also maybe um, think, why the fuck is he talking to children? You know? And yeah. um, so I'm trying to imagine you at school. Uh, your friends and other people watching you and you're always talking to the children. Yes. Um, it, I mean, it's, it's kind of like that. I mean, they see it, by, but they do not um, think about uh, maybe uh, me being a pedophile. Would it not be easier to stay away and then there's no temptation at least? Stay away from the children, you mean? Or Yeah. Nah, it's it's difficult. It's more difficult. I mean, temptation for what? To, I don't know, to sexualize them. I mean, I I also do sexualize them, but not in the in this this hardcore way. I mean, um, I see a child, and if um, I mean a boy, because I'm a homo pedophile, so if I really like him, so um, I try to talk to him. And so then there are two components. There's the, the friendship, which I really enjoy. And I enjoy being around children just because of the way they, uh, how they are, you know? Um, yeah. Their, um, their um, character traits and everything. And then there's also the sexual component because, I mean, uh, he's very attractive to me. And that's also why um, it, it wouldn't be easier um, to stay away from them because then I also would be uh, uh, more likely to um, to do something bad because I do not have this. Concept. But that sounds a bit like a cognitive bias be uh, of yours because you're saying if I'm away from them, I might be more likely to hurt them or something. And if I'm closer to them, then I'm less likely to hurt them. And do you see what I mean? It feels like maybe you've told yourself that. Is that fair to? to suggest um, I don't think so because um, if you as I already told if I'm in contact with children um, I enjoy um, the um, this this moment and if I'm away from them I mean I also um, get a little bit depressed you know so um, and that's why maybe then um, I would be more likely to to harm a child. So, but yeah, but if you're not near the child, then you can't harm. Yeah, the child. yes, that's also right. I mean, it's it's very difficult to explain. It's just um, yeah. a, a hypothetical case. Yeah, I suppose the other moral issue is something you pointed out yourself, which is that if you had children, you wouldn't be comfortable with them hanging around with a pedophile that they, you know, unless they really, really trusted that that person. Um, and and but you are hanging out with other people's children. So I guess that's the moral, is that a moral <laughs> issue? Uh, you, you understand what I'm saying? Yes, it's, it's um, um, kind of a, a bipolar, or how do, how do I call it? A, a, a paradox? Yes, a paradox, yes, yes. Mm, yeah, it's very complicated. Mm, yes. um, and I suppose most of the listeners will be thinking, I guess, well, 1% of the listeners will be thinking that they have the same thoughts as you. Many others will be uh, understanding what you're saying. 
And then some will be thinking, yes, but he shouldn't be trying so hard to be around children all the time. That's that's the, what the problem yeah. is. I mean, um, maybe to those listeners, um, um, the children also, they, they really um, enjoy also um, talking to me and being or hanging around with me. And I'm also kind of a role model for them because um, I'm also good at school. And I mean, I'm, I'm a very friendly person. Um, I always, I'm always, um, I'm also always friendly to them and I really see uh, children as fully humans. So, um, as a, a few, as a fully human, fully human being, and you need to treat them like any other people. So, yeah, but that can be dangerous as well. Treating children as though they were adults because the um, and you've said yourself that it's any any sexual contact could harm them f oh, for yes, life oh yes but um i i do separate this so um the sexual way is another completely thing and regarding mm. the sexual um component i do not treat them obviously as an adult because um it's not the way it is i mean that they're still children but I mean, hmm. when when I'm talking to them and when I'm um, just yes interacting with them, so um, I'm not mean to them, for example. So other people are mean to children, for example, especially yeah. um, um, people my age, you know. And that's how also the children um, um, profit from this relationship. I suppose you'll go. You, you when you leave school you will want to find a way to be near children do you have plans for that kind of what kind of what kind of work plans do you have mm, well i still don't know what i'm gonna do the contact to children will always be there some ideas could be for example um um being a voluntary at some uh, schools or um just helping out with with homeworks or um helping out at a local football team uh, things like that a lot of the pedophiles I've met have been so obsessed with pedophilia that they have few other interests in their lives. Not all of them, but some people have. Is that the case with you or are you, or do you have a lot of active hobbies and other ambitions? I mean, uh, pedophilia plays a huge role in my life and it influenced the way I am. But I really do have a lot more uh, other hobbies, really. And I also also have really some other ambitions so i want to um, earn a lot of money um, and i also want to develop myself and become every day a really better person and i also want to do something for the environment so because um I, I really like nature also and i constantly i'm trying to educate myself a little bit more just to outgrow my comfort zone I have to confess that I like Silas and can see why he was voted head boy by his peers. I'll never be able to get used to the way he talks about children, but appreciate he was honest with me about his innermost thoughts. Cognitive bias is a key theme talked about by doctors dealing with paedophiles. It's been found that these people have significantly higher levels of empathy towards children than non-paedophiles do. It means most of them, psychopaths apart, would never want to hurt a child. But the mind is able to concoct stories leading many paedophiles to convince themselves that abuse won't hurt children or that the child wants the attention. Silas is fortunately aware of the harm any abuse causes, 
but perhaps he uses cognitive bias to convince himself that it's better for everyone that he keep children around him. If you enjoyed this podcast, all I want is for you to like and review it. Apparently that helps, although I'm not sure exactly why or how. Oh, and share it around. Hopefully the subject matter of this episode won't lose you too many friends. Thank you all for listening to that. Do get in touch with your thoughts. And remember, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, wherever you like. I always love to get new insights and feedback from listeners. Do come subscribe on YouTube as well. More and more people are listening to these episodes in the morning on you know, Spotify or CastBox or Apple Podcasts. And then coming at 9pm UK time, which is 4pm Eastern, 1pm Pacific to the live premiere video version so i put them out they stay out on youtube but for the first hour i'm in the chat on the side it's like a live premiere and we all chat together and there's a lovely community forming uh, i've now got uh, in, what is this at the moment it's august 2022 if anyone's listening later in the future but we're up to nearly 14,000 subscribers on youtube it was a thousand just a few months ago so that's taking off now as well although most people still listen just on audio so thank you all for your support and all that stuff um today's episode didn't have video because amanda and chris don't do that for their podcast but i'll release it as a live premiere on youtube anyway with pictures in the background while we talk so come along and say hi in the chat while it's playing coming up next are episodes with andrew doyle on the new puritans of wokeism and bbc journalist vicky baker on the psychic mafia see you then lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.